You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust. Connected to the land, committed to conservation. sound that you're going to be greeted with when you walk into backcountry and beyond here in Salisbury, North Carolina. Our friend Jeff and DeWitt and Jeremy. They're going to give you a standing ovation. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, they're going to treat you right. You're drinking on something right now. What you drinking on? I'm, I'm drinking on the beyond portion of backcountry and beyond. I'm drinking Black Rifle Coffee's Espresso with Cream Cold Canned Coffee. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome and really the only place you can get it backcountry beyond yeah and i mean why would you get it anywhere else when you can go there and get outdoor gear like a quiet cat or a stand-up paddleboard new pair of costas marshware uh i mean the, the bio light lineup uh-huh. everything they got yeah these Traeger, are all, they got it all and these are all things that we like we love here fits three rivers land trust enough about oh yeah so go check them out they're at the intersection of Ennis Street and I-85 here in Salisbury, and you can go to backcountryandbeyond.com to check them out online. I've coined them a slogan real quick. Go ahead. Buy gear from folks that use the gear. Period. Go there and talk with those guys, and you're going to get experience, years worth of experience along with your purchase for no added charge. Backcountry and Beyond. Traveler Trading Company. They are supplying us with leather goods of all types, but most importantly, the Big Iron Belt, which we named here on this podcast, which I'm not usually a fan of alternative materials to leather. I like the natural product the best, but in terms of the Big Iron Belt, there's no better way to hold up your shooting iron and hold up your britches. And I've also used it for a variety of other things that belts are not intended for, including hanging my dog by a harness from a rafter so I could trim her nails without getting bit. I trust this belt that much. Traveler Trekking Company is innovative in holding men's pants up. Yeah, all this stuff is made by craftsman Brock Norris. Handmade. Handmade. Charlotte, North Carolina. It's local. And you can go check his his business out and uh, learn a little bit more about it by going to TravelerTradingCo.com. So, I'm sure we violated every copyright law known to man right there. This episode is dedicated, dedicated to the working man and working woman. So, welcome to the show. We apologize for our incontinence in getting these episodes out. You like that? That's nice. Yeah, I looked that up earlier. (laughs) Um, We apologize. It's been uh, the holidays and hunting season and just everything. C19 has been a problem. It's just... A little bit of everything going on, and I'm sick of giving excuses. So I'm just going to tell you like it is. It's going to come out when it comes out. It's hopefully going to be weekly, but it may not be. This is season four, episode one of season four, dedicated to the working man. What do you think about that, Sam? I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I like like it. it. Been a working man since I was two years old. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lead me off. Tell me what I don't. I really, 
I'm kind of you don't know what we're talking about. Oblivious to what we're talking about. So fill me in. No. So this episode, we're going to talk a lot about just we've we've heard from a lot of people lately. Let me preface that with this: we've heard from a lot of people lately about you know COVID not being able to go and do like you usually used to could, used to could mm-hmm. go and do, and people are finding themselves with a little extra time in some cases. So, this episode, we're going to dedicate it to things that we, Sam and I, involve ourselves in that, you know, uh, keeps us, quote-unquote, social distanced. But things we do, you know, with things that we harvest from nature or otherwise, just little projects and things that you may not have thought of that you can utilize a little bit more of your, your fall harvest this year or otherwise. And it doesn't. it's not necessarily going to be just animals and, and animal product and that kind of thing it's going to be all kinds of things that will uh, occupy your time if you're so inclined and give you something to do with your hands and be a working man or working woman i can dig it you dig it yeah let's go let's go so first off let's talk about let's let's break it down into categories okay oh wait first of all we're back together in person yeah uh after our, hey, how about that? <laughs> Thanks. Thank y'all. Thank you, everybody. Um, despite our last episode where I was calling in, I did not get COVID. Did not get it. Somehow, some way. If you, yeah, hold up. <laughs> I'm throwing him off. <laughs> Cody is, Cody's on the board today. So <laughs> I think there's going to be a little bit more spooky. If you notice, if you notice, the quality of this show just went through the roof. <laughs> it's because I'm running the controls. I'm I'm on the control panel. Oh yeah, the master board. You ever listen the motherboard? To, I shouldn't even be giving these guys credit because they're not a sponsor. They're they've never been a sponsor, but I love them anyway. Uh, and they know nothing of the outdoors. I don't even know if they've ever been outside. But you ever listen to Rock ninety two? It's a local radio station. Two guys named Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am Biggie. Biggie's the guy running the board for two guys named Chris. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm him. Smalley. Smally, I'm small. Yeah, I'm small. Like I'm the mini version of Biggie, and also I don't just wear shorts and a t-shirt every day all year long. I can fit into jeans. Um. So yeah, no COVID, and that's good. And then I'm gonna tell a little story real quick, just because I think it's cool. I went duck hunting this morning. Yeah, I tell the story. It's good. And um, went out with a buddy, and we were. I'm going to just tell it like it is. We were on a Merganser wagon. That's what this I, was. I was invited to this. In you were. Merganser wagon. You were. I, I politely declined. <laughs> <laughs> so it was me and Grayson Geyer, who's been on the show before. Um, Lost Highway Gundog Kennels out of Lexington. He's super, super good guy. If you're looking for a trainer to train you or your dog or give you some pointers and tips, Lost Highway Gundog yeah. Kennels. Grayson Guy. Mm-hmm. If you need his contact info, you can reach out to us or you can just look him up. Yeah. It's easy to find. More them. coming on that later. Um, but anyways, we went on a merganser whacking this morning. And it kind of was set up where I wanted to be the first person to shoot that way like the birds were going to be going towards Grayson. Merg um, Madness. It was Merg Madness this morning. So, at first light, legal shooting time, I shoot a... Drake hooded merganser and there's birds flying around I'm watching the rest of the group fly and I look back because that's 
break. And I'm looking on the water, and there's like, he's not there. And I'm like, what in the world? Where did he go? And about that time, a hawk flies over my head. Yep, there you go. Like out of a rainbow, with my Merg in its clutches, and sees me coming over as it comes over the tree line and drops the merganser w- at my feet <laughs> dude you gotta stop <laughs> it's enhancing your story um so i had my first hawk retrieve yeah so, so not to take away from your story not to take away from grayson uh but who maybe, had dogs yeah dogs cool and all but if you can get a hawk so trained up, what, what i told sam was when Grayson come over there and, and he was like, he asked you, you told me, he asked you, so you got any ducks down? You need my dog to go fetch yeah, I was like, I don't need, I don't Y'all need weren't wearing them. waders. Mm-mm. You're Mm-mm. just standing on the bank of the Mm-mm. pond. Mm-hmm. You drop your duck, your mergans are in the pond. Mm-hmm. This hawk comes out of the abyss, spots it, laying there, thinks it's an easy meal. Snags it. Snags it up. Sees flies me. out over your head. Sees you, flares, gets scared, lets go of the duck. It's, it's meal, it's breakfast. It falls next to your feet mm-hmm. on where the dry I, land. I, it was still like just a tad bit alive, so it gave me like it fell so close that I took a step and picked it up. That's how close it dropped to my feet. So when Grayson come over and asks you after the hunt, you know you got any birds down? You need the dog to find or go retrieve in the water. Your response should have been, "What you don't know about me, Grayson. Mm-hmm. What you don't know is that." I have power over all animals, mm-hmm. and I just asked this hawk that was hanging out. If I he wish would, he had seen it. If he would grab my bird for me while he's while he's coming by, and he said yes, sure. And so, yeah, I've got my ducks. It's how about those- you? How about you, Grayson? Do you need me to? <laughs> do you need me to get my hawk to get a duck for you? Because <laughs> I can do that if that's something you need. Yeah. We were talking about it. it's like it's one of those things that sounds like a lie. Um, but I promise it's a hundred percent real. I, and here's why I believe it. Here, not that I, because one, you're telling me this and I believe what you say most of the time, but two, I've had, I've had multiple occasions where I've had ducks, shot ducks stolen from me by other animals, hawks and owls included, but I've never had them give one back. <laughs> yeah. So I believe that I, be, mm-hmm. I can see it because I've had, I've also had hawks come in and get my dove decoys when I've been dove hunting, grab them see me and let go mm-hmm. you know yeah. i stand up to try to mm-hmm. say hey yeah. you know and they drop it so yeah. i can see that exact same thing happening with you and that duck so that's mm-hmm. that's cool that was worth the that was worth the hunt i would have, worth- i would have came on the hunt if i knew that was going to happen yeah. if you were going to be commanding creatures like noah yeah and the, the ark <laughs> yeah. like hawk grab my duck thanks yeah. now go get in the ark yeah <laughs> You know, I mean, that's 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 like a biblical story. You know, that's how how Noah did it. I felt I felt <laughs> on top of the world. I'm sure Noah did too. Yeah. Just think about that while we're talking about having communication with animals. Like Noah's like, all right, you're gonna walk on this ark two by two. Everybody, mm-hmm. the lions, the tigers, the lambs, the sheep, everything, every creature. That's that's something to think about. What if you could do that? Deer hunting would be a lot easier. Yes, it would. You wouldn't have to worry about peeing in the woods at that point. Yeah. Just be like, hey, Buck, come here. I'm hungry. <laughs> what do you uh what do you want to talk about first? What what craft? What thing that you're what work? Witchcraft is what I'm looking at. What <laughs> what are you know doing how you with command your hands? these animals? Yes. Yeah. Witchcraft. What are you doing with your hands these days? Everything. Everything I so Sam and I were talking 
priming this episode up because this is episode one of season four and we want it to be the best it can be just like every episode we come in we come into this office saying all right let's be everything we can be today play like a champion today Mm -hmm. let's leave it all on the field in this case let's leave it all on the roadcaster yeah sure and we're talking about it and i told sam we've been thinking about this episode for a while but i told sam Personally, I have a I have a deep respect for any other human that does something with their hands, a craft, creates something from scratch, or has a technical skill that they can make or repair or build something. That's something that I regard as useful and important in today's society. And I feel like it's a kind of a lost art to do things yourself when it's so easy to go pick it up from the store. And that, that's for anything and everything. That's food, that's clothing, that's, you know, just stuff in general. It's easy to just get whatever. And a lot of times better than what you can make. It's easier to just purchase that outright. And a lot of times cheaper too. Um, but in the case of this episode, we're going to talk. So this, this episode is going to save you money, give you something to do. And it's also going to give you that, that sense of pride that you did something yourself. Mm-hmm. If you if you decide to take on any of these projects, mm-hmm. um, but Sam has recently been this has got nothing to do with wildlife whatsoever. By the way, but Sam's recently been working on his house that he purchased his cabin, and I've found that coming over to your house and seeing what you've been doing, and you know that's given me a, a, a more of a respect for you. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, um, well, I not mean, that I didn't before. Not that I didn't before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's I'm learning from a lot of people, and I'm getting help. And, the fact that you were willing, sorry to interrupt, mm, the fact that you were willing to purchase this house with a construction type loan and knowing that you were going to go into it not paying a ton of contractors, you were going to try to do as much as you could yourself, that right there I think is commendable. Well, fortunately I have a support base of folks who are, you know, I'm, I think it's one thing that we've talked about a lot with getting into the outdoors for new people. We talk about it all the time. There's certainly some sort of pride element that goes into learning something new where you don't want to admit that you don't know how to do something. Um, And I've really just tried to, in all aspects of life, try to eliminate that ego from my, you know, vernacular and from the way I am and um, embrace learning. So this this cabin, I have a lot of people who've, um, who have helped me along the way, and I've learned a bunch. And being open-minded like that is, has been rewarding because now I feel like I've learned just with the cabin alone a lot of skills: plumbing, um, electrical, sheetrock, um, sheetrock stuff. Um, you know, just problem solving. And I feel like more of a, more of a well-rounded person. You could now. survive better now with that mm-hmm. experience if everything were to go to crap mm-hmm. than before. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's like a primer for today in terms of things that we do. I mean, I can't I can't take credit for all the cabin stuff, but I feel like now that I, after doing it once and learning, I'm and not saying about it, I'm not saying you're trying to take credit for mm-hmm. like your tile guy coming and doing tile. I did. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of projects that I've done, I've I've done a lot of it myself and um, with the you know a select group of people that are in my in my circle that have, um, that we've worked together to do things that I could have contracted somebody out to do. So that's, uh, it's been immensely rewarding. You're right. And, and because of that, you're going to appreciate that place more. Mm -hmm. You're going to take better care of it. 
and you're, you're going to have a bigger sense of pride mm-hmm. in that. When, when folks come over for dinner after, you know, everybody can start getting back together again, you have, you invite me and Mikey over for dinner, you're going to mm-hmm. be like, so, you know, I did the, check this out here, right here. I did this myself and I did this and, and you're going to be able to point those things out and it's going to be cool. Yeah. I had, I went duck hunting last week and had some guys come over and there's definitely like an excitement for people coming over to the house. Cause it's not like it's not like I'm inviting them to to show a, off to a house. Yeah. I'm inviting them to a project. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, I mean it's I get to say like you see that that foundation used to be completely exposed, and we dug that whole thing out and put bitathene on it, and it my AC unit fell in the hole. You know, it's just like all these stories. Yeah, it's super cool, and I think we carried that into. With the cabin, that's new to me, but there's there's things that you and I do in our personal lives that we've kind of developed on our own um, that are that same feeling except kind of outdoors related. Yep, and that's that's what the episode's going to be about. So that's how that's how we premised talking about this. That's how we mm-hmm. that's how we got into it was you know doing things yourself and being self reliant, and this this applies to anyone with hands basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you uh, and there, and to be honest, you go on the internet. There are people without hands that do some crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, so even if you've got a severe disability, there's things you can do. But today, let's, I've got a list of things to talk about. But first, we're going to start with what's most applicable to this podcast and to our listener, in my opinion, which is your your fall harvest. And I think that most of the folks that listen are either hunters or they're interested in the in the in the hunting community at some level if not then you would have left this podcast long ago or at least interested or excited about just the idea of maybe you're not interested in hunting but you are if you're interested in food and knowing food. where your own exact food, thank you your food yeah. comes from and and sam and i have noticed in the people that we meet especially in this job more so than other jobs i've had that's that's really the big attractor for mm-hmm. folks getting into hunting, especially newer, younger folks. Uh, not not saying I'm old by any means, but I'm old in the terms of my experience in doing these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But folks that are coming into it late life, new hunters, they're interested in the food aspect because it's sustainability. It's yeah. become it's become apparent in society, and it's now more mainstream that processed food is not good for you Mm -hmm. and there was a time when processed food was thought to be better Mm -hmm. and there was a time when there was no processed food so when it became available the whole country transitioned to it no it's the big box store buying Mm -hmm. it of it's the the easy way Mm -hmm. the easy route Mm -hmm. okay so so we're gonna implore you to not take the easy route in terms of your food we've talked a lot about food processing and handling of, of game meat and and even even garden stuff on here. So this is not necessarily that, but this is taking it a step further and using the byproduct and trying to get the most out of everything. Native Americans, you always hear how they used every single part of an animal. Well, that's pretty much true. And no, we don't use every single part of every animal that we take because there are some things that just aren't applicable to life anymore. Uh, there's no reason to dry the intestine and make casein for your sausage when you can buy 
you know, prepackaged casing for 60 cents. Mm-hmm. It's just the time versus the reward is not there. Mm-hmm. So there's things like that that we're not doing. But you could if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. But this is talking about things that are a little bit more attainable and practical. And so first example, this year I, I was fortunate and had a very decent deer season. So if you're if you're familiar with wild game, especially especially cervids, their their fat, their tallow is inedible. I mean you can you can eat it, but it's not something you take pride in eating. You don't enjoy it. It's uh, very waxy. It doesn't keep very well. It doesn't have a long shelf life. So you're typically trimming most of that away, and you're using some kind of domestic fat. Waxy. Waxy is the perfect adjective. Yeah. You're using a domestic fat to cut into your meat to add that, that fat content if you want it. You don't have to. You can go straight on lean meat if you want. I like a little bit of fat content for the binding properties of yeah, it. Yeah. For If I'm making grind or whatever, I'm going to use like a 20... 20% mix of yep. fat. And nutritionally, you need you need that that mm. fat because that's what's giving you a lot of the calories. Yeah, and even making need. burgers, I mean, it just makes yep. a world of difference to have them stick, you know, just so even for just something as simple as that. If you watch the show alone ever, um, which we refer to on here sometimes, those people, they're always malnourished and they're always talking about how they need fat. Mm-hmm. And that's the same. That was That's true now as it was, you know, 10,000 years ago and even 200 years ago mountain men and folks that were living in the wilds they were definitely malnourished in the terms of needing fat so anytime they could get a hold of a fatty animal that had fat that they could consume they were into it Mm -hmm. Um, Inuits use whale blubber Mm -hmm. because it's a it's a consumable fat that has a shelf life Mm -hmm. and they don't you, it's been said, and you've got the book actually where it's it's written in there. Um, it's been said that if a man had to live on caribou alone, he would die. Mm-hmm. Even if he had hundreds of them to eat in a winter, he would not be able to sustain himself on caribou because there's no fat. Mm-hmm. They're really lean, and what fat is there has no shelf life. So whale blubbers where Inuits took that up. So getting back to the story of what you can do. Johan Stephenson. Yep, that's the book. Yep. That's the book. That's the guy. Um, so what you can do at home, what can you do with deer tallow or deer fat? I would assume that if you've, if you've had a decent season, you've got a couple of deer and chances are you already worked them up for this year. But if you haven't and you're, you're about to, or for next year, if you're going to be planning for your next year, when you're trimming all that fallow, that tallow, fallow, fallow, (laughs) if you're trimming all that tallow off, or if you take your meat to a processor to have done, which I think is is kind of uh, not the point of hunting if you're taking it to a processor. But if you don't have the equipment and facilities, I completely understand that. But if you're taking it to a processor, have them save the fat for you. Have them save that those trimmings in a bag. It's, it's nothing extra for them to do. Or if you're doing it yourself, save those trimmings. It's going to be silver skin, sinew, and fat. And when you're even when you're quartering up your animal, there's a lot of fat that you're going to leave on the carcass. Trim that off and save it. Throw it in the freezer. And I, I know I said it doesn't have a long shelf life, but you can throw it in the freezer for a couple of months and it'll be fine. So throw it in the freezer. And then whenever it, whenever you've got a day, you know, a rainy day or whatever, and you don't have a lot going on, instead of sitting in there and watching Friends on TV, <laughs> you, can, you can go and do this. Take your, uh, take your camp stove or, you know, if you're uh, 
if your significant other is super understanding, you can do it in the kitchen, on the kitchen stove. But I would recommend not doing that. <laughs> take your take your trimmings and cut them up into chunks, little one-inch cubes or smaller. Smaller is better. And you've got all this white, waxy, half-frozen fat. Then you're going to put it in a pot. Put it in a pot. I use a aluminum, like, little mess kit camp pot to and i do you know a little small batch at a time like a quart at a time and you're going to put it on low heat what i use is i've got a wood stove in my shop and so i just put it right on i just put that pot right on the wood stove and the lower the heat the better hot heat will cause fat to burn and you don't want that if it burns it's it's basically rendered useless Um, but you're going to be actually rendering this fat down into an oil so what you're going to do is you're going to cut it up into chunks. You're going to put it on super low heat, and even a really hot candle will do this. But I, or a lantern, you mm-hmm. can set it on top of a lantern, something like that, with super low heat. Camp stoves tend to get super hot, so you've got to be real careful and maybe put something in between your pot and your camp stove. But you're going to let this simmer at low heat for as long as it takes, and you're going to be rendering this fat down into cracklings, essentially. And so the fat's going to get crunchy and really shrink down, and you're going to have all this oil collecting in the bottom of your pot. So then you're going to find you a container, a glass jar, or a metal can, or whatever. Uh, you can cut the top off of a Mountain Dew can, use that, whatever. Something that can handle something hot going into it, basically. But something that's disposable. You don't want to be using your, your, your good beer glasses for this or whatever. But... Anyways, you're going to take a coffee filter or a paper towel or an old t-shirt or something like that, and you're going to set it over top of your, your empty container, and you're going to pour the oil that you have rendered and the cracklings into this filter, and it's going to drip down into your empty container. Then you're going to be left with everything in the filter. That's your cracklings. Those are edible. You can eat those. I mean, just put a little salt on them. They, they taste like pork rinds or something. Uh, it's, uh, I use it for dog treats and it works really, they, they work really well for that. And we just had an episode on feeding your dog, you know, raw. This is not that, but it's uh, a super okay treat to give your dog. And so I use them for that and you can freeze those cracklings and save them throughout the year. But you're going to have this oil collecting in the bottom of your, your container. So you can do a ton of things with this. This is, this is something that is super useful for an outdoors person. So what can you do with this oil? This oil is going to cool and it's going to harden into a, uh, a paste or, you know, basically it's going to be like a hard thing of wax at this point. What can you do with that? You can do a ton of things with that. You can use it for leather treatment, leather waterproofer. If you've got leather hunting boots, it makes a great uh, treatment for your leather hunting boots. That's also uh, kind of a cover scent slash attractant. In my opinion, for if you're a deer hunter and you just rendered deer tallow into oil and then into, you know, this wax, that is uh, what better cover scent to use on your boots than deer tallow? I can't I can't think of anything better. It's better than any commercial product available, and that's what I use, and that's probably why I'm super successful. <laughs> Sam's laughing right now. It's that's a joke, but <laughs> treating your leather leather treatment's kind of expensive. And why throw that away when you can make it yourself? 
and then you've got it and it's going to last a little a little bit goes a long long way so leather treatment um chapstick you can use it for that if you want to it's uh and that's if you use a good clean filter when you're filtering it and a clean pot and you've got clean fat like if you've dressed this animal in the woods and there's leaves and dirt and stuff in it it's not edible but if you if you took the same care that you do with your meat with your fat it is edible and so you can you can use it for you know those type of things you can use it for cooking oil and you know fry stuff in it or or use it for you know lubricating a pizza pan that kind of thing if you we had that episode with uh with uh um Gosh. Michael Felder. Michael Felder. Yeah, that's who I was trying to think of. We had the episode with Michael Felder where he was talking about impressing someone and why not cook your own. You were saying, like, why not cook your own, bake your own buns mm-hmm. for those burgers? You ground your own meat. Why not bake your own buns? If you're having someone over and you're making a homemade pizza, why not grease the pan with uh, tallow that you rendered down yourself into oil? I think of all the things that you can do with it, I think the thing that you did for Christmas is the most handy. Yeah, so and I, I gave y'all one, mm-hmm. um, and there's one sitting here. I made candles out of it, and the thing about the thing about animal product candles and and fat candles is they burn really hot. So you got to be you got to be cognizant that you've got a candle lit, and you can't put it next to something else that's gonna catch on fire because it this this can cause a fire. So disclaimer up front. But I made some wicks. You can purchase wicks from Hobby Lobby. They're super cheap or from one of these hobby stores. Candle store, I imagine, has them too. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can make your own with just cotton. Straight up cotton works great. Like a cotton t-shirt, cut it into little strands, twist it up super tight, and dip that in the damp oil before it's set up. And then hang that with a bread tie and let it hang until it gets stiff. And then you can render your oil back down and set it in the bottom and stick it up straight in your container. And that's a that's a, that's a wick works just as good so once you've let it set up and you've got your wick in there and you've got it in your container glass jar i use these little metal like these little metal tins they look almost like tobacco tins or something um that i used for my candles and i gave them away at christmas and you, you know, put oils in there yeah i use so which... i scented some of them for for folks that are going to use it primarily as a candle in their house um i scented them with essential oils um which i did not make myself uh, something I'm, I'm thinking about getting into, but I haven't done that yet. But I used uh, peppermint was a, a good one. I used cedar wood. I think I gave you a cedar wood. Mm-hmm. Um, the peppermints, the peppermints smell like something you'd buy at a doggone Christmas store. Yeah, at, at friggin' what's that Yankee Candle yeah, Company? Uh-huh. Yankee, Yankee Candle Company has nothing on me. I can make a candle that smells just as good, um, and I can make it with a deer that I shot. So you can't buy that. That's something you you literally cannot buy it because it's illegal. Yeah. So uh, I, I made those. And if that's something that you're interested in, that's just like one extra thing you can do to get something out of your, your, your deer. So say you only shoot one deer. Say you had a tough season and you only shot one deer this year. Well, you've got, you know, roughly 30 pounds of meat. You've got, you know, if you're keeping organs, you've got a couple of organs that you can eat. And then that's virtually it, usually. Well, with this, you've got, you can make pretty much two small candles out of a deer that's average fat content here in the South. Um, So you've got two tins of oil that you've made that you can use as candles or cooking oil or leather treatment or whatever. And that's something that you can do. 
And then once you've got that, you can give those away at Christmas and you didn't even have to go Christmas shopping. You've killed so many birds with one stone there. It's ridiculous. And you've saved a ton of money. The other thing you can do with your, we're talking deer here, is, and I, I see this all the time. I've, I've been guilty of it in the past um, on occasion, and I, I still don't keep every single one of them. But your your deer hide, the, when you skin that animal, that hide is, is a product that you can certainly use. And to think that so many of those are left in the woods for the coyotes is, uh, is pretty crazy to me. I hear a lot of folks are getting into, you know, eating heart and, 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 and liver and that kind of thing. And, and I get that. And I think it's great that that part's getting utilized, but then those same people are leaving their deer hide, you know, wherever they dress their animal or, or, you know, throwing it in the landfill. And they're like, I'm using so much of my, my deer. Well, you just threw away the most valuable piece. And I, yeah, don't I threw away my hides this year. I don't understand that. I understand it if you, if you're, you know, if you've never done it or you're afraid of it, but it's, it's something that I want to talk about here. And I want to talk a little bit about the process of handling deer leather for, for personal use. It's, uh, it's not as, as, as scary of a task as you might think you can do it at home. Even if you live in an apartment in town, if you, you can do this at home, all you really need is salt and a couple of five gallon buckets and whatever tanning solution that you decide to use whether it's natural and a brain tan or if you're going to do a chrome tan or a veg tan or you're going to use you know a tanning product in a bottle there's uh there's a lot of options out there and with the advent of the internet the one thing i've found is that these products that used to be super hard to get when i was a kid are readily available now and can be on my doorstep in a couple of days it was so hard to find a tanning product like I'd have to pour through taxidermy catalogs and it was so confusing to find a product that was user-friendly for me as a, as a 12 year old kid that didn't have any equipment. I didn't have a, a tumbler and a, and a pickling vat and all these things to tan leather, but I was interested in doing it because I saw Jeremiah Johnson and I saw these, you know, I watched Daniel Boone on TV when I was a kid and I thought that 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 would be cool and that's something that I wanted to do but I didn't have access to these products like I do now and so the internet gives you no excuse to be able to get these things and yeah you're going to spend a tad of money in the startup process but the money you're going to save and the pride you're going to take is much like that of Sam's cabin it's uh it's very rewarding in the end and you've got a showpiece or a product that you can you can talk about and it's got a story behind it versus something you bought so with these deer hides there's the potential is unlimited in what you can make out of buckskin leather or a hair on tanned hide. And the process is, is super simple. So, and there's a lot of steps in the process, but it's super simple. And the way you would start is you skin your animal. You take care in skinning your animal not to put holes in the, in the hide. The less holes you're going to have to sew up, the better it is. So you take care in that. And you take care in getting that hide, just like you would with your meat. You take the same care of that hide as you would with your meat. You want to get it cooled down fast and clean. You want to keep it clean. You want to keep the blood off of it. And you want to keep the dirt off of it. And you want to get it cooled down as fast as possible and dry. Because those are the things that create spoilage in meat. It causes slippage in, in hides, and namely the hair. So you don't want your hair to slip if you want a hair-on rug or 
wall hanger or blanket you you don't want that hide slipping you don't and deer are that's the one thing about deer they're they're not a fur bearer so their their hair slips really easy it's thin it's coarse it's hollow and it is that's the most difficult part of handling deer hides is keeping the hair from slipping and any taxidermist will tell you there's never been a deer hide ever that didn't have some slippage every single deer hide no matter what kind of care you take is going to have some slippage you just hope that it's enough where it's not noticeable when you take a deer to the taxidermist to have mounted and they they if they go through the process of tanning your your cape they're going to comb out a quart of hair out of that hide that slipped out and that's and that's minimum it's, it's going to be ziploc bags of hair that come out but as long as it's evenly distributed and the bacteria doesn't get to one spot and really work that spot you're going to be fine so don't don't freak out when you start losing hair right after you've skinned your your animal and you're, you're wanting to use your your hide don't freak out that the hair has has slipped a little even if it slips a lot a lot of times it, it'll be negligible when you get done so once you've got your hide off it's probably going to be that if you're in north carolina and you took a deer in november it's going to be 50 degrees during the day um and so that's that's warm and bacteria growth is gonna gonna happen so what you need to do is get that thing cooled down as quick as possible to kind of stop decomposition for a little bit until you have time to go back and work on it when you got a deer down and you've skinned it and you, you you know you've dressed it and you're trying to get the meat on ice you don't really have time to be messing with a hide too you've got too much going on that day anybody who's ever took a deer can tell you that you know you've got a lot of things to do in a short amount of time and adding a hide to it is more than most people are going to be willing to do so what you're going to do is you're going to take that hide you're going to fold it flesh on flesh so right down the backbone if it were still in the animal right down the center of the spine you'd fold that animal belly to belly if you skin it the way most people skin a deer which is split the the belly open and go split down each leg that's open skint you're going to fold that flesh on flesh and then you're going to roll it up tight just roll the hair on the hair and roll it up and put it in a put it in a garbage bag stick it in your freezer and correct i mean a good skinning job this is not something i do so I'm asking. A good skinning job, if you were to take a hide, if you had like the perfect wall hanger, you're going to have kind of a white border mm-hmm. around the edge. Of evenly. Your, evenly. Hopefully. Mm-hmm, which would mean, I mean, you think about looking at a white-tailed deer. It's got that white underbelly. So you'd be splitting, when you're dressing that deer out, you'd be splitting perfectly up the bilateral seam on the that's, underside. That's good. Yep. That's good And then as you're going along the inside of the hams or the legs and the forelegs, you'd be splitting that white line as well uh, of the white underside of those so that when it's splayed out, if it's on the wall at a, as a finished product, you've kind of around the edges, you've got the white where you've, where you've uh, split that deer open and, and removed the hide. Yeah, so. that's exactly right. So, and then you fold it up, you put it, you roll it up, put it in your freezer in a bag. So now fast forward to when you do have some time. So I like to work on this kind of stuff at night after my little boy goes to bed. This is kind of uh, like my decompression time or whatever. You know, some folks like to smoke. Some folks like to drink. I like to go work in the shop. 
that's my that's my way of, of decompressing and kind of just like doing a, a menial task to get the the day off my mind and so i'll go to the shop i've pulled this thing out so maybe that morning i pulled this thing out of the freezer to thaw out you want it thawed out pretty much completely but still cool you, you can't work it if it's frozen you're going to want to flesh that hide what that means is you're going to be scraping off all the meat all the fat all the sinew all the connective tissue that you left when you skint that deer there's going to be a lot of that still on the hide on the flesh side you're going to need to scrape all that off it's got to be completely clean leather um, it's, it's, it has to be if not you're going to get bacterial growth you're going to get rot you're going to have a poor finished product um, so you've got to scrape it off and there's there's a lot of ways to do that and you know with the, we talked about the internet a second ago YouTube has about a gazillion videos on how to do this kind of thing but I'm going to give you and, and it's hard to do it without visual and I wish we were filming this so I could you know lay out some tools and show you but and maybe we'll do a video on it at some point but I'm just going to give you the the steps and and some tool I'm going to name some tools and, and what you can do at home and hopefully you can grasp it from that but once you've got it thought out you're going to open it up and you're going to need some kind of surface to flesh it on now there's there's a ton of things that you can use to flesh your hide against. I use, I've got a flushing beam that I made. I used a uh, cedar post. Um, I took all the bark off of it, made me a rack to put it at an angle so it kind of comes up. If I'm standing at the end of it, it's laying at an angle like a cannon. So if you imagine the way a cannon would be on that axis, that's the same angle it is, about 45 degrees or so. And I get on the barrel end of it. So I'm facing the cannon and I will drape my hide over this beam and my beam, I actually shaved it down and put a piece of PVC pipe over it. So I've got a nice, smooth, even surface. So that's the thing when you're, whatever you're going to flesh against, it has to be something hard and it has to be even. There can't be like, if you decide to use a log that you cut, it can't have a knot in it. It can't have a gouge in it because any of those places where your knife's going to give that's going to be a place that you're going to cut a hole in the hide. So that's why I use PVC. There's, you can buy commercial ones, which this pro, this podcast is all about doing things yourself. So make it yourself. Um, and I use PVC. You can use there's if you're using if you're doing small animals, a bowling ball is something you can use. Um, there's all kinds of things. Just a, a you can put it flat on a piece of plywood and do it that way. Um, if you're using a fleshing knife which i use um, you're going to want something with a bit of curvature that matches your knife because those fleshing knives are curved a little bit they're kind of like uh, they look like uh, one of those paper cutter things that you would trim the edges of, of notebook paper with that mm -hmm. you see in the office they kind of look like that except they have a handle on each end they're a draw a draw knife essentially like you would use to scrape bark off or something but you can use you can use the same knife that you skint the animal with and just do a little section at a time and shave it all off. Uh, and, and that works just fine, especially if you're going to do one deer hide a year or two deer hides a year. And this is just like a project anyway. It's going to take some time. So you can, you can do it a little bit at a time and just use a regular knife or a kitchen knife or whatever and, and shave this stuff off. The thing is, it needs to be fairly sharp so you can you know trim all that away. And once you've trimmed it all away and you've got a super clean white leather on the inside hide that's when the, the steps come in so you can either depending on how much time you're going to dedicate that week to it you can either go back in the freezer with it and pick it up later 
or you can go ahead with the next part of the process, which is salting. So salt has been used since the beginning of time, basically, for preservative. And it kills bacteria. It stops decomposition, basically. And it dries out your, your hide, your leather. And that's what you want. So the faster you can do this, the better. You're going to use non, here's the key, is to use non-iodized salt. So iodine may call, and you can use, if you, if, if you can only get a hold, like if your store only carries, you know, iodized salt, you can, you can use that, but it may turn the color of your skin side to a color that's undesirable, and you may have to dye it back. Um, so I use non-iodized salt. And you're going to want to, it usually takes, for an average deer around here, it usually takes about a pound and a half to cover the whole pelt evenly, the whole hide, leather hide evenly. And you're going to want to take, you know, a pair of rubber gloves, put those on, salt the whole thing, and, and rub it in to every single edge, every little crevice, every spot. The tail, you're going to split the tail, take the bone out of the tail, flesh the tail, and you're going to put salt in all these places. And then you're going to fold it flesh on flesh again, just like you had it in your freezer. You're going to fold it down the spine, and you're going to roll it up. You're going to set that you know, on a couple of boards in a cardboard box or over top of a five-gallon bucket or something, and you're going to leave it. You're going to walk away. It's, it's preserved at this point. When you put that salt on there, you stop decomposition, so you don't have to worry about keeping it cold anymore. You're, you're good to go. Now, don't leave it in direct sunlight. Like, put it in your garage or if you're in an apartment, you know, put it in a closet or something like that and, and, and walk away. 24 hours later, you're going to come back. You're going to get that hide back out. You're going to take it outside and you're going to unroll it and you're going to shake it out you're going to shake all that salt out there's going to be whatever container you had it sitting on there's going to be a little pool of liquid in the bottom of that container that's all the liquid that that salt drew out and it ran out while while it was sitting there kind of curing you're going to shake all that old salt off you're going to take a old knife or a, you know something with an edge on it that's not sharp you're going to scrape every bit of that salt that you can get off of it off and then you're going to go back and you're going to do the exact same process a second time. You're going to put more salt on there. You're going to roll it back up, put it away for a second time. This is just to finish out that process. Once you've done that, you can stop there and you've got you've got a you've bought yourself a lot of time now to where you can kind of work on this at your convenience until you're ready to do the next step. The next step involves a couple of things. It involves a big pot or five gallon bucket that you can you want to heat up water with with your with your stove in your house and a metal pot and you're going to want to heat up you know two or three gallons of water and you're going to get it hot enough that you can dissolve a pound of salt per gallon of water in it and you're going to dissolve salt and create salt water essentially once that water is cooled down after you've dissolved all your salt in it you're going to shake that hide out of the salt that you had put on it and you're going to submerge it in, in this, this salt solution. And that's going to be kind of your pickle. There's a, there's a couple of ways you can do this, depending on what kind of tan process you're going to use. For sake of simplicity, we're going to talk about the brain tanning method here, um, which you can either buy a commercial bottle of solution that's equivalent to a brain tanning method, or each animal has just enough brain to tan its own hide. Isn't that funny? Like, that is a strange, strange concept that's maybe by design of, a, of, you know, maybe the Lord intended it that way. I don't know. But it's, uh, 
if you so if you were super uh super into doing everything yourself then you also cut the brain out of this deer and you dissolved it into water and you know kind of kind of scrambled the eggs and with some heat on it and you've got this solution that you saved in a bottle if not if you went the route that i go and cheated a little bit and bought some tannin solution then you've got a bottle of that and there's there's a ton, i'm not going to name all the different ones there's a million of them but you bought that and you've got your hide in this in this pickle in this salt water and you may have added vinegar i don't add vinegar to mine because i don't i don't need that with the way i do it i just i go straight salt water eight hours eight hours in the salt water soaking in there every once in a while give it a stir make sure all the all the parts of the hide are getting covered hair side and the non-hair side and this process that i'm talking about is strictly for hair on tanning um, for rugs for wall hangers for that kind of thing um, if you want to do hair off, there's another step involved um, to just create leather. Um, so we, we can talk about that later if we want. Or you can, you know, call or look on YouTube, whatever. But you pull it out. Pull it out of the bucket after eight hours. Rinse it off. And then you're going to go into a solution of soapy water, which is your degreaser. I use Dawn, Dawn soap, Dawn dish detergent. Five-gallon bucket, warm water, Dawn dish detergent. Mix it up good put that hide in there and I stick my arm in there and I run it like a rent cycle in your washing machine. Just spin it around, get everything super clean, dump that water out, come in with a second batch of Dawn dish detergent and water, warm water. I wash that hide a, two or three times usually. And that's to get all the salt off of it, to get it shiny. It's going to, it's going to get all the grease that, that was on it from where it was draining all that time. It's going to get all that off of it. And you're going to have a nice smelling hide. It's going to kind of start to smell leathery at this point. Um, which, you know, if you ever bought a new pair of boots or a new wallet, like that smell is a good smell. The leather smell is a good smell. A new car, it's it's kind of like you're creating a new car in a five-gallon <laughs> bucket. Um, so anyways, you've washed it. Now you're going to hang the drain. Once you, this is the simplest thing. You're just going to hang it up, hang it over a clothesline, hang it over your porch railing, whatever, and and let it start to dry. Let all that water start to drip off of it. And it's going to it's gonna take, I don't know, three hours, four hours before it's going to start to be, you know, semi-dry. It's going to be the hair. The hair side, you want to be pretty dry. The inside is going to take weeks to dry, the leather side. Once you've done this, then it's time for your tanning solution. If, you, if you've got your brain solution, you're going to use that. If you bought a commercial product, you're going to use that. You're going to spread your, spread your hide out on a piece of plywood, and you're going to you know coat the entire thing in this product and you're going to use either a paintbrush or you know a gloved hand and you're going to rub it into every little thing just like you did with the the salt you're going to rub it in make sure every surface is covered then you're going to fold that hide flesh on flesh and not roll it up you're just going to fold it flesh on flesh and leave it this is going to start your tanning process walk away come back the next night open it up stretch it out now depending on what you want to do with your hide is going to dictate what you do here if you want it to be a wall hanger or a rug you're going to want to stretch it tight so nail it to that piece of plywood and stretch out all the corners and go all the way around it and stretch it nice and tight so you get a nice big even hide with a nice shape to it um, if you're going to do a throw or a blanket or something like that where it doesn't really matter if it's you know fully stretched you don't necessarily have to do that you can just lay it out flat 
on that piece of plywood and not stake it down. It's going to shrivel up some, but you don't have to do that. So that's that's up to you. And you're going to just leave it for several days, you know, three to five days, and it's going to be drying out all this time. On about the second or third day, you're going to go down there and touch it with your bare hand, and it's going to be, like, sort of sticky, but mostly dry. When you get to that point where it where, – and you just have to do a couple and see, but – mostly dry but still pliable it's got to be pliable that's when you're going to start the breaking process this is what makes all leather supple so if you've ever had boots that you didn't treat with a leather treatment over time they kind of got stiff right well that's for all leather leather uh, is a is a natural product and it needs it needs treatment in order to not get stiff so what you're going to do here is you're going to either stretch you a tight rope or go out to your porch and you've got a post out there or, you know, on the edge of your sidewalk or whatever, you're going to go leather side down, hair side up, and you're going to rub it back and forth with a lot of vigor. And you're going to get every single piece of that leather surface rubbed across there. And that's going to break all those natural fibers in there. And it's going to cause it to be supple. Now, the more you do this, the more supple it's going to be. The least, the less you do of this, the stiffer of a rug you're going to end up with and it just depends on what your your end goal is a wall hanger or a rug they can be pretty stiff they they should be that way they maintain their shape when they're either tacked up on the wall or or laying on the floor of your cabin you want it to not be floppy so you don't have to break it as much you still need to do it three or four times but over the next over the course of the next four to five days every day go break it go rub it back and forth and then lay it back down break it and at the end of that five days or so, depending on the temperature outside or in your building where you're doing this, that thing's going to dry out completely. It's going to be dry to the touch. It's going to be nice white leather. So at this point, you're pretty much done. The only thing left to do is thin it. And thinning the leather is uh, mainly for suppleness. So depending on what product you want it to be, if you want it to be a blanket that you're going to give your wife for Christmas, you want, her, you want to give her a nice soft blanket. So you're going to take a drill with a wire wheel on it, a bit with a wire wheel, and you're just going to go over the whole thing, taking off just a little bit at a time and thinning that inside part, the leather part. And once you've done that, you can sand it, which is what I do, and that's not something you're going to see on YouTube, but I use a belt sander. There's my secret. I use a belt sander and sand that thing down and make it nice and smooth and soft. And I, you just got to be very careful to not go at a super high speed and put a hole in it because it's, I mean, it is a little bit fragile. And then you're going to take your, uh, your wife, you're going to steal your wife's hairbrush. You're going to brush that hide and make it nice and smooth and get all those hairs laying nice and straight. And then you can wrap it up and give it away as a Christmas present, which is what I did. I gave away deer blankets and candles for Christmas to extended family this year. And it, it was a pretty good hit. So that's something you can do. And you've got a finished product, and it's also a way to commemorate your your success, your your hunt. If you didn't, you know, if you didn't want to mount that that animal, this is a way to do that, and you're getting something else out of it that's that's useful around the house. So there's there's a there's one for me. It was a long process, but I wanted to give you the steps to those two things: the candles and the and the the hide handling. That way, you've got some ideas for next year. I uh, I did one with deer as well that I gave away as a Christmas present or two. Um, 
How are we doing on time? Good. You're good. Go ahead. I, uh, for the last two years, I've been using bones more. Um, and I, it's a food thing, but, um, and again, I, a lot of these, a lot of these things, it's, it's more of a hobby and a pride thing than it is, um, than it is really just something that makes a lot of sense monetarily. Um, cause you can go and get stock for cheap, but I like the product that I've been making over the last two years and it's, it's fairly easy. Um, and you can get a good meal out of it as well. Um, what I'll do is I'll take, you know, the, the meat that I'm going to use for grind when I'm processing the deer and take all the meat off to the best of my ability. You're not, you're never going to get everything. And then with the remaining meat, um, and whatever's left on those bones, I'll bag them up and put them in the freezer, like Cody said. And when I've got a rainy day or a time that I want to make some stock, what I'll do is I'll go with a saw and I'll saw those into three, four-inch pieces. Something that, fit, something that fits in your pot. Something that fits in the pot or on, onto a pan. Because what I'll do first is with the meat and everything, I'll roast it for like 45 minutes. And I'll put on like tomato paste and have some olive oil in the bottom of the pan. And Where are you putting your tomato paste? basting it onto the bones Bone? onto the bones themselves okay. mm -hmm. and it, it just gives a little bit of flavor i dig it so i'll do that and roast it at like 400 or pretty high heat 425 something like that for 45 minutes um when you pull that out it's going to be cooked i mean you'll be able to pull some of that meat off and eat it it's good caveman uh, style mm -hmm. yeah yeah mm -hmm. it's really good but what you'll do after that is you'll go in and fill up a you'll fill up a pot, like a stock pot with water, just enough to cover whatever ingredients you're going to put in. And you can, I mean, there's so many different ways yeah, you can do it. This is where you can really get mm -hmm. wild. You can get wild if you're going to put in like some root vegetables or whatever it is that you want to put in um, with your water so that you can cover the bones. What's your go-to ingredients? Oh, gosh. I like to do like root vegetables. So chopped onion. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, Potato, carrots. Yeah, let me look at, I used potato, I, I don't even, actually I didn't use potato last time, I used carrots, um, I have my recipe right here, give me a second, but anyways, what you're going to do is you're going to fill that with water, just enough to cover your ingredients and to cover your bones, and then you're going to cook that on a stovetop for like 10 hours, and by the time you pull that thing off, one, all this meat, you're going to be able to grab whatever bones you used. And the reason I cut them in half is you're getting that marrow. Yeah, you got to open that up. marrow mm -hmm. is going to really get out, and it's going to make uh, a nice product. But then you're going to be able to grab whatever bones you put in there. If you were to reach a, a pair of tongs and grab it, and it's going to come off clean. All that meat that was still on there is going to be delicious in the bottom of that pan. It's going to be like a roast. And what I'll do is I'll eat that stuff. I'll eat my root vegetables. I'll eat the meat, and it's going to be you know like a delicious pot roast. And what I do is I'll take some cheesecloth and put it over a container that I'm going to keep my stock in. And I'll probably do two layers of cheesecloth. It's, I mean, it's the same process as your candles, really. You want everything, any bit of grit or whatever. Oh, by the way, while you're cooking for that 10-hour period, like once every hour, there's going to be a little bit of buildup on top of um, the stock and everything when it's cooking. And you can just go through with a spoon and just kind of scrape that away and toss it. Um, 
But when you pour it through that cheesecloth, you're just going to – what I'll do is I'll have like a, a big jar or whatever I'm putting it in, and I'll band it down real tight. And I'll slowly pour that broth once I've taken all the ingredients out over that cheesecloth, and it's going to collect up some residue and residual stuff, and you'll pour a little bit, and then you'll scrape that off and pour a little bit and scrape that off. And if you want to do that a couple times, that's fine. But what you should end up with when you've got that cheesecloth and you've got a real tight strainer is just this, like, golden, amber, beautiful stock. And when you're making it, again, with the ingredients, this one that I did, I did it unsalted this year's and you can add salt to it later um if i had done it again i probably would have salted it um and i added a little bit more seasoning to it but it's very easy to thaw it out and and put salt and kind of fix it up even more so i've got a very pure product um but yeah i'll pour it through and you're gonna end up i used i only used like five pounds of bones so like one deer you could get if you're doing mm-hmm. it that small, I mean, you can get a lot of stock off of it. And um, I just save, like, jars, like tomato uh, marinara jars and stuff like that throughout the year. And then I can fill those up and put them in the freezer, give them out as gifts or whatever, freeze them up, leave you a little bit of space when you're pouring it into those jars because it's going to expand when it freezes. So you're going to mm-hmm. want to give yourself definitely a little bit of space. What kind of uh, shelf life do you have if you don't go in the freezer? If you canned it, I don't know. I don't I, know. I'm guessing if you canned it, probably a decent shelf life. Yeah, probably so. Um, but there's a there's a lot of joy and pride of instead of getting the cardboard carton of stock that I bought at the food line to pull out one of those frozen jars, and when I'm doing my next roast, cooking the roast in the stock that I made from that exact deer delicious product and it's fairly easy to do um you get a meal out of it as well and um it's i think it's a pretty good gift i mean everybody uses stock yeah or if you and if you say you get bronchitis you get down and out you can make your own soup super quick yeah i'm looking at my i'm looking at my uh recipe i used uh onions and carrots okay Um, i mean you can throw in whatever you want to use pepper um bay leaf yeah the parsley. possibilities are, are i mean yeah you can go you can go out i you mean can go flavored flavor it whatever you want and that's the when you label it you know put a little ribbon mm-hmm. on there and and write the label say this is italian mm-hmm. stock and it's garlic and yeah thyme and rosemary and mm-hmm. and basil when you're making that when you put that water in it's a blank canvas you've got the bones and then you make it what you want and let it cook for 10 hours Mm-hmm. 12 hours and that's well, it and it's just gonna to, sit i was there. about to ask you how mm-hmm. long how long yeah is, 10 or 12 long uh, on the stovetop rendering Four, that boom 45 minutes um roasting and then probably 10 or 12 i mean you're gonna you're gonna know when it's done. i mean you're gonna when you pull those bones out and everything's really falling off and you feel like you've got a beautiful amber product you know you're done cook as long as you want really but that's uh, 10 or 12 hours seems to seems low to heat and it smells good yeah, it smells. I mean, it smells. Your house smells amazing. What uh, what temperature are you uh, putting that pot on the stove? Low, like whatever your low setting is. I got you. I wrote all this down. One second. Well, while you're looking that up, I think that that's that's a great way to get more. Like if you if you took one deer this year, 
if you if you combine all the things we just talked about, if you combine the meat that you are already going to get with the stock that Sam just talked about, with the fat that I talked about earlier, with tanning your own hide, that's a that deer went a long long way. That's a that's a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of product that you that you got for essentially yeah. no money, mm-hmm. just time. Yeah, I. Uh, just don't boil it. That's all I have written. Don't boil it. Don't boil. Yeah. So <laughs> okay. A Easy. A simmer. Yeah, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to doing that at home. I think that's a that's a great uh, way to utilize more of your your harvest and, and appreciate that animal even more. Mm-hmm. I've still got bones. I mean, it's like one of those things. Like you said, for a rainy day, I've done one batch, but I've got bones in my freezer. Do you have a name? One. Do you have a name for your stock? Or your like? I my big thing is labeling. Like I, I feel like the finished product when it's especially when it's food product uh is the labeling aspect because it gives that eye appeal to the non-hunter mm-hmm. when i give it away as a gift mm-hmm. no i don't but i do have one for my uh yield for my garden i think you should name it rough stock i think that's a cool name i have parrots carrots oh yeah that's good that's mm-hmm. good i named my candle the woodsman's candle i like that yeah parrots carrots um my carrot crop's doing pretty good so yeah. businesses, businesses are booming. Um, and that's another thing that you, you'd kind of alluded to mm-hmm. at the beginning of this episode. But in, So you grew your own carrots, put in your stock. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, this is a 100% scratch. Mm-hmm. This is from the earth. Mm-hmm. I, uh, so my carrots, they like, they've grown so slow. Um, but I'm just getting to the point where, like, I'll... I'll pull one out and be like, huh, I like that. Like, I'm satisfied. Mm-hmm. It's not like a store-bought carrot. It's, you know, it's not perfectly conical. Um, and <laughs> it's, it's not... It's not bright, bright orange. Yeah, and it's not like the size of your forearm. <laughs> and you know? shiny. <laughs> I'm, ta- I'm talking about, I don't know, a four or five-inch long carrot. But what I did this year was a blind taste test with my carrots and store-bought carrots. Big difference. N- n- yeah. It's like strawberries. <laughs> it's no, I mean, all the difference in the world in so, taste. So if you haven't figured it out by now, if you're a grocery shopper, which everyone is, but if you haven't figured out that product, especially vegetable products in the store, are grown for visual appeal rather than taste, if you've not figured that out yet, this is a hot take for you. mm product produce that you buy from your local not farmer's market so anything that you buy from your grocery store that that food product is grown genetically enhanced for the visual appeal versus what you get out of your garden you're like god this is an ugly carrot but the taste is there which originally when folks were crossbreeding plants they were going for taste so the variety that you planted is going to have a better taste than what you could buy at the store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the garden this year has been a lot of fun, and it's still it's still it's probably my biggest garden I've ever made or ever. We're gonna uh, do it. To We're together. doing a garden off this coming yeah. year, but I uh, it's not huge, but it was like to get everything in the ground was one day, maybe two, but tilled it all up, and that for carrots that's big. Yeah, soft soil. Um, so it doesn't have to work so so hard to penetrate. Um, but my best producers this year were carrots and kale 
and collards. I have been eating collards. Oh, so many collards. It's, and that's great. Um, I think my garden is maybe like 15 by 15 feet. So it's not like huge, but it's been enough. It's been the perfect size for me, for two people to eat and enjoy it and get meals off of it. And then to be able to give again, gifts, Mm -hmm. you know, you have somebody come by and you're like, Hey, you want some carrots or how about you take a, how about you take some collards with you and give them a bag. So you can easily, you're not going to be making any money off of it. Um, and you're not going to be eating every day out of that garden at 15 by 15 feet. But if you want collards once a week and kale once a week, uh, or cut a couple leaves to go on like an egg sandwich or something like that, and then carrots to go in your stock. Collards on an egg sandwich sounds awful. Oh, it's great. No, kale on a, a kale on an Even, egg sandwich. Yeah. It's good. doesn't appeal to me. Mm, it's good. But the, the thing is, is you've gotten a, a, a nourishment from from that that you cannot buy. Money mm-hmm. cannot buy the type of nourishment that you got from your 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 home harvested meat, your homemade stock, your homegrown garden, mm-hmm. eating it with your homemade candle mm-hmm. as your as your illumination, sitting on top of your deerskin rug. Again, it's you know you can buy carrots cheap. So it's you can not, buy candles cheap too. Yeah, it's that's not, not the point. Yeah, it's not the point. It's definitely not the point. It's just fun. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, how, how little can I get from the store mm-hmm. to make this? And that's kind of like a competition of like, I want to get as, l- I want to purchase as little product as possible to make this happen. And, um, that's kind of like a, just, it's more of I just like the a story. A that's thing. the story of my life. In my opinion is what can I not buy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, I mean, and it's, yeah, again, things are cheap, but it's fun. And to make that, to make that stock and have your own carrots and stuff, it just makes it taste a little bit better. Oh, these 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 yep. garden carrots have are the just the. Added oh, you can touch. look down your nose. Mm. You can look down your nose at the at the person that's eating a canned carrot from the store. It's okay. As an uh, as I'm a not looking down my nose but. as a as a uh, inherent cheapskate, <laughs> doing things yourself is. Uh, is wildly rewarding for me. Let's uh let's uh let's move on to turkeys. Yeah, well, I'll start I'll start with turkeys. Go ahead. Uh, I think this is all kind of turning into like this 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 isn't all going to be animal product, but I think it's it's fun and it's something that I want to get to yours in a second, but making your own Do I have one? The one that you made for me. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But And yes, you have one. But um, when you harvest an animal, it, I, I, there's like this weird thing with trophy hunting mm-hmm. where, you know, like to display that animal is almost like a taboo thing. And I totally disagree with that. Yeah. But I, I mean, like there's, I don't know, it's, it's a very, very important keepsake for me. Commemorative would Commemorative be the, the word and, I would uh-huh, use. And, and, and honor. Mm-hmm. Honoring yeah, that I think life. So. Mm-hmm. I think so. I mean, if I like it so much that I want to put it up in my house. I wish if I wish if, if it was like prehistoric times and there were other forms of, of humanoids hunting me 
I would want them to be proud that they got me mm-hmm. and put my head on their wall mm-hmm. like look at this one mm-hmm. this is a prime specimen here mm-hmm. yeah sure I, I would I would be okay with that <laughs> well <laughs> um with turkeys with like you're trying to mount a waterfowl or something like that or a buck there's that's next level and that's something you could do I'm interested in the idea of it but with turkeys that's an Easily mm-hmm. done, commemorative. Yes, honoring much less that, steps. Mm-hmm, honoring that animal, and it's something that you can do at your own house and with a no beautiful, problem. Mm-hmm. A beautiful piece of art. Mm-hmm. I think so, all these things we're talking about are categorized as art. Mm-hmm. So, with the fan of a turkey, if say you harvest or fortunate enough to harvest a tom or a jake, you better not be harvesting a hen in North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, bearded hen, <laughs> but. You harvest a big old nice tom and you want to display them and you're wondering how to do that. It's so easy. One, the beard, that's a feather. You can literally grab that and pull on it and pull it out. I don't recommend doing that. I do. Yanking it out? Mm-hmm. Oh, I would call. Mm-hmm. That's what I did with mine. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I would caution anyone to go yanking on their beard. I, I feel like Are you, you serious? Yeah, if you're not careful and get it right by the base and yank on it, you're going to be pulling strands out of that mug. Mm-mm. I get it right by the base, and I oh, give it a tug. You ever do that to one of my turkeys, I would I would freak out. Did it. Worked fine. <laughs> Anyways, maybe not Cody, but that's no, how I... No, I recommend cutting that thing Mm-mm. and giving yourself plenty of room. But that's fine. That's fine. Anyways, with the fan, when you get down to the fan, what you're going to do is you're going to get to the base where those long tail feathers come down to the body, and you're going to trim carefully here, very carefully. Mm-hmm. It's there's like a little nub of fat. It's like it's the tail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's the tail of a turkey, but it's kind of it kind of juts out like a almost like a nose or something yep. with these um, tail feathers, this fan sticking out of it. And there's a joint there. Yep, you're going to trim those right off. It help me help me explain there's, this. You're going to f- feel with your thumb and index finger when you've plucked the feathers away from that where the tail comes out of the body and you feel right there you're going to feel an indention it's going to be shaped like uh like a uh gosh i don't know one of those handheld fans that the ladies at church use to fan themselves yeah but you're not you're not going to cut straight in front of those the like the fans there's going to be about an inch Mm -hmm. about an inch between where the feathers are coming out of the 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 body yeah Mm -hmm. there's going to be about an inch Yep. That you're going to leave, and then you're going to yep. feel that joint with your thumb and index finger. It's going to be an indention around there. And you can look at the fan itself from the front and be like, this is how many of these secondary feathers, mm-hmm. these feathers in front of the fan itself that I want to keep to have a beautiful display. Mm-hmm. And like Cody said, that's going to be probably an inch. But then you can work down to the base of those secondary feathers in front of the fan itself and feel where this is where the meat, this is where the feathers that i want to keep connect to the body and you can just trim that off Mm -hmm. and then when you trim that off you're going to have i mean you'll be able to fold it up like a fan that a lady uses at church that's what it reminds me Mm -hmm. of it's exactly like that um and then the product in terms of preparing it really isn't much different than what cody said about his deer you're trimming off Mm -hmm. all the fat all the meat that you can. You can use a wire brush and try to get between those feathers, really just removing as much of that meat as you can. And then instead of like a tanning solution or whatever, borax. Borax salt. Salt, yeah. salt and borax it. And then 
Stretch it. Ta- stretch it out. So what you'll do in the is shape you want it. Mm-hmm. Get a uh, cardboard box, and you can put tacks in it, and you can stretch that thing out to a full 180-degree semicircle. Yep. Stretch out just like it was on the animal, and you're going to tack it in place and have it just the way you want. You'll have those I, I, secondary feathers is what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but you'll have those out in front of the fan. And you the can saddle. Keep, yeah, mm-hmm. the saddle, and you can kind of line those up how you want. Leave it. Yep, let it dry. Let Just it dry. Let it dry for months. Mm-hmm. And then one day you're going to go in there and you're going to pull a couple of tacks. And guess what? It's not going to spring back yeah. to that other shape. Mm-hmm. And I'll go and, like, when it's fresh and I've boraxed it, maybe once, uh, every once in a while I'll go in there and I'll check on it. And you're going to see, like Cody said, you're going to see a little bit of fluid from where that borax and that salt has extracted liquids. And if you feel like you need to put a little bit more salt or a little bit more yeah, borax, I like that. I resalt and reborax um, fairly often for those, especially in that first period when I'm really trying to remove all the liquid. But yeah, I mean it's a really easy process. You just let it sit there every once in a while. Go check on it if it needs more salt. Salt it. Um, when you pull it off, it's going to stay just like that. And then you can cut any sort of piece of wood you want, build a base for it, and yeah, you can test your woodworking skill mm-hmm. out, and you can go as elaborate. Or as plain Jane as you want to go. I got. I made one for my dad this year. So, um, another gift. Yeah, I saw it. It was nice. Mm-hmm. It was. It was nice. very nice. Mm-hmm. I've got well the one you always pick on me in here in the office. You know, with all the Jake beards hanging. I made mm-hmm. a. I made a multi beard one fan multi beard display. Um, I rounded the edges and did some stuff to it and put some hangers in there for my different beards that I've taken over the years. Because, thing is, once you get so once you get a number of turkey fans it becomes hard to find wall space back when i was living i made that fan for my dad when i was living in charlotte and um i had a rat chew on my dad's Mm -hmm. my dad's fan i had i had one uh ruin one of my turkey beards from this year so that's that is key that's a i'm glad you brought that up when you're doing sam's turkey fan process you need to do this somewhere that's mouse proof pretty Mm -hmm. much Um, yeah I salvaged it, but yeah. you mm-hmm. just got to keep an eye on it. Same goes for the beard. You dip that tip of that beard, the the skin tip, in salt or borax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't have to stretch it or anything. You just lay it. Lay it. I'll just lay mine on top of my turkey fan. Just let yeah. them lay there. I guess the tip that I've come up with is if you have like a garage or a shed or something like that. What I ended up doing was building like a little lean to. Not 45. Like an easel. Like an easel that came off the wall that stabilized it. That way, if you've got it tacked and it's directly vertical hanging on the wall, that fan may want to, if there's, you know, you open the door or something happens, mm, it, may want to, want that. it may want to fall off that cardboard. So if you've got it on an easel that's mounted to the wall so that a critter can't get to it from below or above, um, and it's got to lean backwards so there's no chance of it falling off, um, that's what happened with mine. It was up vertical and fell off. So I made that little lean to easel and mounted it to the wall and it was good after that. So, um, but you take Turkey product to a little bit further level. Also you can do stock with turkeys too. You can do it. Oh yeah. yeah. And that's great stock. Mm -hmm. That's the only stock I've ever made was Turkey stock. Mm -hmm. Um, Same, pretty much same process. um, And the reason I make it is because I've got, I'm doing this thing that I'm, I'm about to tell you about, but yeah, with Sam's thing, there's a when you take a turkey, there is pretty much the only thing you don't use off of a turkey is the head. I mean, the the interior 
parts of a turkey, the organs, I mean, you got giblets there. So you can make you know, food out of that. Then you've got all the meat, and then you've got the fan. And along with your fan, you did the beard, and you did the feet, maybe, or the spurs. You salted those or, you know, cut the spurs off and hollowed those out and put them on a necklace or a hat band or a rearview mirror hanger or something, whatever. You've got the, all these products. And then well, I, I do this. And with the feathers, so I this is a good time to mention this before I talk about the other thing. Um, I made, when I was in college, I made a uh, down pillow um, <laughs> for a project. And I, I wanted it to be... I wanted it to be super unique and cool. And I just went and bought a, a plain old pillowcase, right? And I was taking this uh, this class. It was kind of a it was a weird class for college, but it was kind of a home ecky type class. But we had access to sewing machines, which was cool. And what I wanted to do was stuff this pillow so full of feathers of all different species. So I had inside my pillow, I had turkey feathers of an eastern turkey. I had grouse feathers. I had woodcock feathers. I had like 10 different duck species of feathers. I had goose feathers. Every kind of feather I could get a hold of, I got. Dove feathers. And I stuffed this pillow slam full. And then I sewed it shut. And I had this down pillow made out of uh, you know all these different animals that I'd taken. And that was cool. Um, my squirrel dog wound up getting a hold of it one day when I was gone. And that pillow did not make it. I don't have that pillow today, which is a shame. But anyways, that's something else you can do with your turkey. But what I do is I make uh, I make wing bone turkey calls out of uh, the wing bones. And imagine you ordered chicken wings, bone-in chicken wings from, you know, wherever. And you've got two kinds. You've got the drumstick, quote-unquote drumstick chicken wing, and then you've got the wing chicken wing. Well... Those uh, those parts are basically the same on a turkey wing. The shoulder piece, and I'm not even going to use the, the the technical health words for this mm-hmm. um, because it, it, it would not be descriptive. Um, I'm trying to communicate this to you in a way that when you're opening this wing up, this is what it looks like. It looks like one, the one that connects to the shoulder is shaped kind of like a baseball bat, bell-shaped and conical sloping down towards the joint of the wing, the elbow. Almost like a cornucopia. Yes, like that. So you're going to cut it off. More narrow. Cut it off at that joint, and you've got your wing. Then you're going to take your knife and open up the top of the feathers and skin all that wing feather away from those bones. It's going to be that bone, then at the elbow it's going to connect to that chicken wing piece that's the wing piece, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be two bones, the radius and the ulna. Radius and ulna, I think. Anyways, said I wasn't going to use the health words. Um, that, you're going to trim all that meat off of those two bones. So you're going to have three total bones. They're going to be three different sizes, starting with the shoulder piece. is a big piece, bigger in diameter. The top piece of that wing bone, um, where it arches up, is going to be a little smaller. And then the bottom piece is going to be the smallest, where the feathers connect there. Um, you're going to have those three bones, and you're going to clean all the meat off of them. You're going to take a bone saw, or I use a rotary tool. You're going to cut the ends off, and you're going to clean out the inside, all that marrow. So at that point, you could do your stock thing if mm-hmm. you wanted to with these. Um, and then you're going to clean all that out, take a uh, air compressor, blow it out, and then you're going to start cutting to shape. And I cut mine so that the, here's how they need to work. The biggest piece is on the bottom, 
and it's and it gets with the smaller. mouth with the mouth of the cornucopia being the furthest the bell outside the outside mm-hmm. piece the mm-hmm. bottom mm-hmm. and you're going to measure up every how long you want it saw it off even do the same thing with the next piece and then what you're going to do from there is you want to fit each of those inside of their respective piece so the biggest piece is going to be on the bottom you're going to try to fit that middle sized piece into there and you're going to keep trimming it off until it fits it's going to take it takes forever um, but you just keep trimming a little way at a time and seeing where it doesn't fit until it slides inside of that one. And it'll slide in half inch, something. That's what you want. And you're going to do the next thing with the small piece. And then at the very end of the smallest piece, you're going to saw that off and smooth it out to the point where it's comfortable to put to your lip and without cutting you. You don't want a sharp edge or anything. Um, once you've done that, there's a ton of ways to permanently join these these bones into this stair how big how big do you like the hole in the end of the small piece that you're blowing through? Uh fairly small. Well, yeah. that you're inhaling through. Uh, yes, inhaling through. So. It's fairly small. Um it definitely needs to be sm- much much smaller than the other end because that's what makes the sound. Yeah. Is the air mm-hmm. being forced up the up the tunnel yeah, sure. mm-hmm. into a smaller smaller hole. Exit I would hole. say the one for me, it's not like perfectly round. It's kind of like um, oval shaped is what I like. And it's probably like if it were round, though, if like the if you were to form that oval into a circle, it's probably like the diameter of a pencil. Yeah, maybe a little bit smaller. A little smaller than a number mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. And here's where you can really get technical with it. The length of each bone makes a difference, and that hole on each end makes a difference. Every how you trim those will affect how it sounds. Um, so as I once I get them all cut to fit, that's when I go. I start using it and trying to get the sound I want. And and once I've got the turkey sound that I want it to make, that's when I permanently join them. So uh-huh. I'll be trimming that mouthpiece yeah. constantly till I get it to make a turkey sound. Mm-hmm. Once I've done that, there's a couple of different ways to permanently join them together. You can mix wood glue with sawdust, and you make this paste, and you can pack that into each of the joints. You want it airtight, whatever it is. So that's one way. Um, JB Weld or an epoxy is another way. Um, and I've also done it with uh, uh, a fiberglass kit, like Bondo, like you mm-hmm. use on your car. I've wrapped them with fiberglass. And that all those make a different sound. So the the wood glue sawdust is going to be much of a uh, more smoother, kind of a duller, no no sharp pitch to it sound. Um, the uh, JB Weld and Epoxy is going to be a little more cleaner and, and sharper than that. And the uh, fiberglass is going to really have a ring to it. Um, so each one of those joint compounds makes a difference. But once you've done that, you know, you can, uh, and I bleach them also in, in between that process. Some people like them dyed, like with, they'll use walnut holes and water and, and dye their bones dark. Um, I like, I've never noticed it to affect a turkey, me having a white bone hanging around my neck, and I think it looks cool. So I leave them white, but whatever, there. And you can wrap your joints in colored thread and, and hot glue it to dress them up, or you can dabble in scrimshaw on there and, do that i usually just put my initials in it and and give them away as gifts and mm-hmm. put a lanyard on it mm-hmm. um, but that's something you can do and you make your own turkey call and it also not only is it a mouth call um that works well i mean i've taken lots of turkeys with my yeah it's uh when cody said inhale um i'd never had one before until you made me one but it's uh only true turkey hunters have wing bones it goes like this you go yep a kissy a kissy noise inhaling like that Instead of any other call you ever use, you're blowing. But mm-hmm. um, it took me a while 
It took practice. me a while, and I've I've noticed with wingbone calls, I've tried a few since. You find like a perfect sweet spot. You find a sweet spot in your mouth, and it's not dead center. Like with the one that you gave me, I was just moving it around my mouth, and then finally found that over here, pressed <laughs> up on the left side of my mouth, is the sweet spot, and I can get it just right. I try to design mine so that they fit perfectly in the corner of your mouth. Mm-hmm. That's where I like mine. Because mm-hmm. when you're calling a turkey in a turkey calling situation, you're generally hunkered down tight, and you've got your hand on your gun mm-hmm. with one hand. And so if you're having to hold a call with the other hand, you don't want it directly in front of your face because mm-hmm. if the turkey steps out, you're going to have to move that hand away mm-hmm. in order to get a grasp. So I like mine in the corner of my mouth so you can have your arm kind of tucked up there right at the corner and you can still be looking out the front of your face. Mm-hmm. So that's why I do that. Yeah. Um, put a lot of thought into it. Mm. But the other thing you could do is you can flip it around, hold it like a pencil with a little end, and use it on your friction call, so your slate or glass friction call it makes a great striker with a really unique uh tone so so that's it's dual purpose turkey call that that looks good and shows everyone that you're a true turkey hunter yeah um so that's that's what i do with turkeys um which is is cool when i give those away um as uh we actually may give one away on this podcast at some point another thing that i've i haven't done recently um too busy but i used to do was and it works for really everything, but um, if you're out hunting, duck feathers, turkey feathers, deer pelt, deer fur is all great for fly tying. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And I've done I've done um, fly tying with all of those. Um, the on the flank of a wood duck is probably the best, the most used feather that i like for fly tying it's kind of got that like black to amber to black to amber you want you ready for you ready for a dictionary term here? yeah go ahead it's called vermiculation mm-hmm. vermiculate pattern mm-hmm. that's right um yeah but that that flank feather is great for like a soft hackle which is a i use all the time as a nymph a subsurface it almost looks like a dry fly, but you can put a little bit of weight on it, and it can go under, and it looks real buggy, um, that vermiculate pattern. Yep. Um, so those, I keep those, when I was doing that a lot, I kept a lot of those. Um, you, yeah, around, if, you're, if you're a fisherman and you're buying material for, make, yeah. for lure making, you're, 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 not, you're not doing it right. Well, there's no difference between a deer hair caddis and an elk hair caddis. No difference. And I use elk hair ca- or deer hair caddis and elk hair caddis. I haven't been making my flies in a while. Um, all the time. All the time. So um, cut you off if you're not making a rug or something out of it. Cut off a... Or even if you are, and then you'll have tanned product to use. Mm. And when you... I left this out. When you're making your rug, in the end, it's going to not be the exact shape you meant it to be. Mm-hmm. So you're going to take a pair of shears and make it yeah, the exact sure. shape. So mm-hmm. all that trimmings, there's your uh, yeah. fly tie material mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, and even if you you know, you know don't have like a – I mean, you could really cut off a piece of hide, put borax or whatever on it, and dry that backside out, and then cut some off mm-hmm. if you didn't want to go through all that. But you can do the same thing with Cody's product because, I mean, at the end of the day, you're still going to put floating on it um, and waterproof that thing so it floats real Float well. Floatant? Your candle? Doubles as a floatant and go. a fly line dressing. Mm. It's also something you can use it for if there you're you go. dressing your. That's what I'm going to dress all my fly line with this year. 
is like my, my deer tallow. I like I'm gonna that. be a, I'm gonna be slaying fish. <laughs> Everybody's gonna be like, what what what's the secret? Well, it's my fly line dress. It smells like deer meat. How can you cast three hundred yards? Tallow. Deer tallow. <laughs> Slick my line up good. Um so caddis are great for that. Um the iridescent colors on turkey. I mean, if you've ever looked at a turkey up close and you're looking for buggy, a buggy looking feather, there's nothing more buggy than the greens and purples and just shine that you get from a turkey feather. And all that stuff is very usable. So, um, again, I've, I'm out of practice, but it's something I used to do. And I have a bag of feathers that I keep. So Yeah, I, I think if you don't have a bag of feathers in a drawer at the house, something's weird about you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that grows for everyone. And it's funny, like, not all fishermen hunt. All hunters fish. Not all hunters trap. But all trappers hunt. All trappers hunt and fish. Um, and so you kind of go up the up the ladder of, of, <laughs> of the sportsmen there, which is it's funny, but I will say that I've noticed this with hunters and some anglers, but all hunters for the most part are real into the do-it-yourself things. Um, and I, I don't know if that stems from, you know, hunters traditionally being poor or it stems from just hunters being resourceful. But uh, the do-it-yourself thing will save you. Like, I don't know if anything we talked about here is going to save you a ton of money. Doubt it. But it will uh, it will save you some money. Um, the meat aspect, which we kind of left out, will save you a, a large portion of money. I mean, I think it will save you – that will save you a ton of money. Um, all these other things are, like, just extra stuff that – will take be a time suck but you'll you'll find a couple of these niches that uh you really like probably and it'll become a i don't know almost an addiction hobby and it's good to have hobbies where you turn out a product at the end of the day having a hobby like golf (laughs) that is a huge waste you're putting time and money into it and getting nothing i don't get it hand eye coordination you're getting that i don't get it I don't get it. It's fun, man. It's weird. It's not. You're, you're weird. <laughs> I am weird. Like, have a hobby. Like, if I could make wood splitting into a thing that people were <laughs> super into, I would have wood splitting events at my house all the time. Be the like, land trust right. wood splitting event. All right, everybody, we're going to get a wood splitting uh, challenge, and we're going to split all this wood that I hear that I've got, and then I'm going to keep it all. But it's going to be fun because you guys are going to be having a blast mm-hmm. wasting all your time. And I'm going to reap the rewards. Like the golf wood splitting event. That can be Boone. Oh, he's going to he's gonna have so many wood splitting events in his life, It's gonna he's probably going to not like it too much. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that's the thing. You got any other ones, uh, quick uh, little things that uh, folks can do with, with their harvest or otherwise? Um, I was trying to think of some quick ones. Uh, that deer hide one took up a – pile of time which is indicative if it took that much time to talk about it it takes uh 50 times that long to do it so it, it, it is time consuming but you'll find that you'd love leather craft when it's over and you'll you'll get into that i think um with uh with just things in nature there's mushrooms like there's a lot of mushroom collection you could do if you if you studied up on it w- with with the woods in general there's a ton of foraging options so those are all 
like little extra things you can do. Um, a thing I made for Sam, which I don't know if you've finished it yet. I took a, uh, a hickory that had come down and sawed it linearly um, in half and made a, uh, a couple of benches out of it and kept one. I felt like any, uh, cabin. any anybody with a cabin needs a log bench sitting outside or sitting on the porch or something. And I took uh, two uh, sections of uh, wood, like splitting wood, and sawed a V in the top of each one to make my legs for my bench. But uh, Sam was late in picking his up, and I'd already split his legs and, <laughs> and already split the legs for his bench and put them in the fireplace. <laughs> sorry about that, bro. But That's I did leave, I did have the bench for you. I got plenty of scrap two by four, so you could make you some legs. So there's mm-hmm. something you could do. Like it's all those little, I don't know, would you call them homestead projects? I uh, I don't know. My wife likes that show. Uh, one of those HDTV type shows. It's like, uh, which I don't really like any of them, but uh, Homestead Salvage or Homestead Rescue or some something like that. And they're always doing these little little projects, like do-it-yourself type things that work. I mean, they they take on some big ones too. But these are just small things that I feel like anyone with half a brain can accomplish. And the first couple aren't going to be perfect. Like your first batch of stock may not come out golden amber. It may be cloudy. Your first candle may be burnt and smell horrible. But your second one might be the one. Mm-hmm. And your second batch of stock might be look like Miller Lite. I mean, it may be oh yeah, golden. Yeah. You never know. You yeah. never know. That's right. Until um, you do it. So those are those are just things things that we've thought about that might help you in your uh your your covid time that you can do at home and stay social distanced and create a product that is beneficial to yourself and your neighbor because you can give these things away as gifts and uh people appreciate you more for it just good with me it's good with me as well so welcome to season four we've got a uh Hopefully a lineup of guests coming, so it won't just always be. I've got a couple lined up. Yep. Won't just always be uh, Sam and I talking to you, but when we've got some topics that we think might benefit you or be interesting, you know, we're gonna we're gonna share those because um, it's first and foremost just a a podcast that we started to uh, promote the land trust, which we didn't talk a lot about this go around, but that's okay. When all with all the money. I left in a quote last go around from planes, trains, and automobiles, and we're saving money already. With all the money that you just saved on these projects and not having to buy these things from the store, you should take that money and put it into your conservation, your personal conservation fund, which goes to your favorite conservation groups to further the activities that you like and so that you can keep saving money. And it's just a cycle. It's the circle of life. Mm-hmm. You save money, you give money to save more money. I like that. It's like you got to have money to make money. This mm-hmm. is you got to give money to save money. So you, you go gotta ahead have and, land to make money. You go. Or ahead. You got to have land to save money. Yeah. So you go ahead and you go ahead and cut that check, that conser- that personal conservation check, Three Rivers Land Trust. If you're a local person, and if you're not a local local person, cut it to us anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, um, and so thank you, and uh, we hope that. Uh, you enjoyed that and you might have gleaned something from it yeah talk to you soon so i just got off the phone with shane dublin rock outdoors in lexington north carolina off of highway 8 
And first of all, he's just a super nice guy and a supporter of conservation locally. Secondly, their store, if you like this podcast, if you like the Central Piedmont, if you like the outdoors, you're going to like Rock Outdoors in Lexington. It is an unbelievable shop. They have fishing equipment. When I was on the phone with Shane, he was saying their fishing gear is just flying off the shelves. Their kayaks and their boats are, that business is doing great. And since we talk about camping so much on this on this show, and we talk about the gear that we like to use, he wanted us to let y'all know that their camping selection is, in my opinion and in his opinion, one of the best in the state. Um, let me just give you a list of some of the brands they have. MSR, Big Agnes, Eureka, Jetboil, Thermarest, GSI, these are, these are all brands that you can't go to the big box store and pick up. Yeah. These are brands that true professionals are using mm-hmm. and with me and camping gear camping gear and tools are the two things that i i don't like ordering these i like to go into a store like you're about that with shades yeah mm-hmm. you want to try them all i feel like i need to go mess with it and see if it's going to be what i need see yeah. if it's intuitive and user-friendly and tough and there's not many places you can go pick up an msr water purifier or stove mm-hmm. and see if it's going to be what you need yeah if you are an outdoors person this is the gear that you need i need more of it i'm going to go over there and get me some so go check them or out or a doomsday prepper yeah this is the kind of stuff you're going to need yeah I, I mean i agree i'm going to use it rock outdoors highway 8 lexington north carolina and their website is rockoutdoors.com go check them out if you're like us, you're riding down the road listening to the podcast on your commute. Well, when you get to where you're going, don't forget. Like us on Facebook. Check us out at our website, threeriverslandtrust.org. There you can find out about all the events we're putting on, all the conservation work we're doing, how you can get involved, and how you can help. We'd love to meet like-minded individuals and get you involved in conservation. Till next time. Thank you.